I want to welcome you into the Sunday preaching podcast of the Point Church located in beautiful Perdido Key, Florida. I'm Tim Coleman, the senior pastor, and we believe strongly in the expositional preaching of God's Word that builds our faith and grows us up in Christ. I'm glad you're either downloading the sermon or listening live to our service, and I pray that this message is a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join me as we get to the point. Have the music been Christ-honoring this morning? Amen. Don't you love the time of the year that we're in? <laughs> uh, this time of the year is a uh, what I'm calling today a mood change, right? I've noticed that uh, I've had a couple people say that they have actually decorated this year earlier than they ever have uh, just because of 2020. I, I don't know that I've ever seen a year where everybody is is so excited about the new year and can't wait to get to 2021 uh, and get 2020 behind us. Uh, there's a guy in the church that texted me a couple of weeks ago, and he said, Pastor, he said, I'm so afraid that when the clock strikes midnight on New Year's Eve that the calendar is going to say 1301-2020, uh, you know, and we're not going to get 2020 behind us. But when you think about this year, you think about, uh, all that we've been through and and kind of the mood swings uh, that we have all experienced, and I think everyone is looking forward to a fresh start. We've kind of spent 2020 uh, asking the question over and over again, what is going to be next? And I would say, unfortunately, based off some things that I've read and some studies that have been done, uh, this year has certainly produced some despair. It has certainly produced some who have lost hope or, or they can't see uh, anything positive about what might be ahead for us. And the truth is, there's always been and there always will be seasons of life where life gets difficult, where we find ourselves in despair or we find ourselves in discouragement. The first Sunday of Advent is certainly appropriate that we would look at this subject of hope. And I really believe, uh, as long as I'm the pastor of the church, uh, that I can't go anywhere in the scriptures apart from Isaiah chapter 9 for this day. Would you grab your Bible with me and go to Isaiah chapter 9, and I'm going to read for our text in just a minute, verses 1 through 7. On this Sunday of Advent and the candle of hope, I want to speak for just a minute on the subject of a mood change. A mood change because that is precisely what we find here in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 1, I've chosen today to read from the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, uh, because I, I really like the flow and the way that the text uh, speaks. Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 1. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. 
The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod of their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloody garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. And may God add his blessings to the reading of his word. Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 through 7 is a very clear mood change. Would you pray with me? God, what a joy and an honor it is to stand in front of this congregation on this first Sunday of Advent and to preach a word of hope. And I pray as we see the picture and the scene of Isaiah chapter 1 through 8 that leads us to this beautiful Christmas text about hope that you will inject into this room right now to anyone who finds themselves in despair or anxiety or depression or paralyzed by fear. Remind us on this first Sunday of Advent that our hope is in Jesus, that we look to the future and we look to the eternal, and we trust you, our sovereign God, to see us all the way through. Give us hope today, I pray. And then energize us to go out of here and to realize that many people around us are discouraged and they're defeated and they've got their head down and they're worried about the future. Send us out today to speak words of hope during this Christmas season because Jesus is born. Christ has come to us. I pray you'll save the sinner that's nearest hell. I pray that you'll encourage Christians. Lift our countenance now. Lift our spirits in these moments, we pray in Christ's name and all God's people said. Amen. My friend Richard Hedrick, who has uh, been to this church many times and passed away just a few weeks ago, uh, he's written several books through the years. It was Christmas, December of 2014, that I got this book in the mail from him. It's a book that he has entitled Letters from Hell. In it, when I opened it up, I quickly began to see that there are many handwritten letters in this book. These letters are letters that have been written and sent to him and Miss Gina about their ministry of helping people uh, kind of turn their life around. Uh, people who find themselves in despair and hopelessness. And as I, I read through the letters in this book, I see people who are in the middle of abuse or, or maybe they're uh, in the middle of alcohol and drug addiction or, or they're going through really hard times 
times. And quite frankly, as you read these letters, you see that, that there are many people all around us that find themselves with just no hope. As I uh, thumbed through the book and read several letters, one stuck out to me or stood out to me on page 40 uh, by a lady who wrote this. She said, I keep praying and I keep hoping something good will happen. I've begged God for mercy, but I'm about to give up. I can't get myself to just keep trying. I need help, and everywhere I turn, no one really cares. I talked to my buddy, and he said that y'all helped him. Well, thank you for your time. I really, really hope to hear from you soon. Do you know, friends, in our world today, there are a lot of people just like this lady who feel like there's no hope, who feel like there's no place to turn. They feel like nobody can help them. And the story of Christmas as a Christian is to know that hope has come into this world. And because you and I have received hope, God wants us to go out and find people like this lady and to say, there is hope. And that hope comes through Christ. Remember in the Bible, the word hope is not a word that I, I hope it doesn't rain today. No, the word hope in the Bible is a word of assurance. It's a word that really ties into the sovereignty of God and the faithfulness of God, knowing that, that God today is in control and that he is going to see us through this broken, sin-cursed, harsh world. He's going to carry us through right on into eternity. I love what C.S. Lewis said about hope. He said that hope is a continual looking forward to the eternal world. You see, if, if we put our eyes on the things of this world, our circumstances or uh, maybe our, our, our finances or whatever it may be, if we, we put our eyes on the things that are temporal, we will become discouraged. We will be filled with defeat and anxiety and depression. But when you're a Christian, you look always to the eternal. How many Christians in the room today are looking forward? You're looking forward because you know there's more to it than just this world. We have an eternity with God, with our Savior forever in heaven. That's what gives us hope today. It's the assurance that God is going to see us through and he's going to carry us right into eternity. And so the question that many people are, are grappling with today is how can I have hope right now? How do I have hope in this world? Pilgrim's Progress, the second uh, most sold book in second place behind the Bible, uh, written by John Bunyan. John Bunyan said this about hope. He said, hope is never ill when faith is well. Hope is never ill when faith is well. So let me just ask you today, I want you to, to answer the question in your heart truthfully right now, is your hope ill today? Do you find yourself overwhelmed with, with fear? Do you find yourself trapped in hopelessness? Well, Bunyan says the only way you can escape out of that illness is to get your faith well. My faith today is in the Lord.
My faith today is in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who never will leave me and never will forsake me. He will never let me down. My hope is not in this world because this world lets me down. But my hope is in the Lord. And I know today that He's going to see me all the way through. But in the seasons of darkness and depression and discouragement, the beauty of the Scripture is that the Bible is always timeless. It's right on time. Such is the text from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. If I could just give you very quickly a big overview of Isaiah chapter 1 through 8 and then bring you right into this text, I think that you'll be able to see the reason why I entitled my sermon, A Mood Change. In Isaiah chapter 1, the vision of Isaiah, the condemnation comes upon the nation that they are a sinful, rebellious, sin-cursed people. In chapter 3, you see that God says to them, I'm going to judge you. I'm going to deal with you. He sends the prophet Isaiah to give them a word, a word about changing their ways and returning to their God. When you look back in history, you find that at this particular time, about 700 years before the birth of Christ, King Ahaz is the king of the southern kingdom. And that included, of course, the city of Jerusalem. The king of the northern kingdom, known as Israel, was Pekah. And then the king of Syria was a man by the name of Rezin. Rezin and Pekah came together and they said, we are going to invade Ahaz and we're going to invade Judah. The setting of Isaiah chapter 7 and 8 is Ahaz is the king, and the Bible says that he is scared to death. He's fearful. What do you want your king to do in a situation like this? You want him to lead. You want him to develop a strategy. You want him uh, to provide security for the nation. Well, the truth is the odds are against them. The scripture says for us that the people are shaking in their boots. <laughs> As a matter of fact, it says that they are so overwhelmed and paralyzed about the future, nothing good could possibly come out of this. The scripture says that they are literally being shook like trees in the wind. How would you like to have been the leader in this moment? Ahaz, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? How am I going to respond? When he is in the middle of this dilemma, God sends to him a man, a prophet by the name of of Isaiah. Chapter 7 and verse 4, Isaiah comes to Ahaz and he says, Ahaz, let me tell you what you need to do. You need to calm down. How many of you know that sometimes that's easy for somebody else to say in the moment, right? You need to calm down. That's easy for you to say, but that's exactly what Isaiah says to him. Calm down. Quiet your spirit. Ahaz, be still. Because God is in control. And here's what God is offering to you today. He's offering you a sign that will prove to you that, that he's in control and he's going to handle the situation. Ahaz responds by saying, you know, no, I don't want a sign. I don't want to tempt the Lord 
God. I, I just find that statement to be interesting. Here's a man, Ahaz, who was a wicked, wicked, ungodly king who went so far as to sacrifice both of his sons on the altar to the false god, but now all of a sudden he doesn't want to tempt the Lord God. Isaiah said, okay, you reject God's offer of a sign. God is saying to you now, he's going to give you a sign anyway. Look on the screen, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. This is a verse that we quote. I memorized it as a kid, of course, in the old King James Version. Committed it to memory because this is a Christmas verse, is it not? Isaiah 7, 14. This is the sign that God gives to Ahaz in this moment. Here it is. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him, say it with me, church, Emmanuel. Ahaz, here's your sign anyway. Now, if you would have been Ahaz in that moment, would you have maybe wanted something that was a little bit more relatable to the invasion? <laughs> I mean, uh, maybe, maybe a word from God that says, you know what, I'm just going to wipe them out. They're not even going to make it. It's the most amazing sign. God says, I'm going to fix all this mess. I'm going to fix this darkness and this division, and here's how I'm going to fix it. A virgin is going to conceive a son, and he's going to have a name that is Emmanuel. What is the significance of Emmanuel? We were singing it just a minute ago, right? Over and over again. Emmanuel, Emmanuel. That name means God with us. You know, one of the beauties of this sign, it reminds me of the beauty of the Scripture, that 700 years before the birth of Christ, our Bible says it would happen. And how many of you believe today that when God declares it and decrees it and says it's going to happen, it's going to happen? 700 years later, Mary... The virgin, she conceives, and she bears a child. Well, let's, let's for just a minute pause. We're going to walk through several pieces of Christmas over the next few minutes. But let's focus on this, this text and this moment. Because if you get the broader picture in Isaiah chapter 7 and in Isaiah chapter 8, again, the Assyrians are going to come against them. Now, historically, I can't tell you that this is the year uh, 585 or 600 or 700, or, or we don't know when this prophecy is exactly fulfilled because the Assyrians invaded them so many times, we don't know exactly how this happened. But here's what we know. We know that every single time it happened, the people found themselves in darkness. The people were defeated. It's just natural, is it not? Over and over again, they come in and they conquer, and it leaves the people in despair. They, they are in despair physically, they're in despair spiritually. I mean, they're, they're asking, no doubt, God, why did you allow this to happen? Why did you not stop this? And of course, you and I can read the picture in chapters 1 through 8 to say that the, the problem here is that they rebelled against God, right? That they went their own way. 
And that's why God said in chapter 3, I'm removing all forms of security. Isaiah said in chapter 5, you better listen. You're being hard-headed. I've been trying to tell you. How many of you know that when the message of the Lord goes forward, the response to that message does not determine the veracity of the message? Meaning, because people respond to the message in the wrong way or they reject the message, it does not mean that it is not true. And over and over again, the people reject Isaiah's message. They had disobeyed God. As a matter of fact, it says in chapter 8, instead of going to God and His Word and His promises and their covenant with Him, the Scripture says that they had turned to spirits and diviners instead of inquiring of God and His testimony. They were searching out other means to fulfill themselves spiritually. How many of you know when you walk away from God, nothing good comes out of that? Nothing good comes out of that. And so I want, us, I want you to see chapter 8, verses 21 and 22. Because of their sinfulness and their rebellion and their hard-headedness and their hard heart, this is the picture and the scene. They will wander through the land, dejected and hungry. When they are famished, they will become enraged. And looking upward will curse their king and their God. They will look toward the earth and see only distress, darkness, the gloom of affliction, and they will be driven into thick darkness. Can I ask you today, church, does that seem like a couple of verses written 2,700 years ago that really kind of sound like 2020? People with their head down. People who are in despair. People who are hopeless. People that are angry and they're enraged. The people here are pointing their finger at the king and saying, you know what, it's the government's fault. And by the way, God, it's your fault. God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? Oh, how many times have we had the opportunity to say that in this last calendar year? God, why are you allowing this? As a pastor, I, I, have, to, I have to deal, of course, and, and hear people say, God, why? This hurts. This is painful. Why do I have to go through this? You see, in Isaiah chapter 8, there is a physical reality and there is a spiritual reality that I believe gives the picture of mankind today. The picture is that men are walking in darkness. In darkness. The, the word darkness, of course, means blindness, or the implication there is that they're, they're walking in ignorance, or they're walking in hopelessness. Friends, that was the condition of the world when Isaiah prophesied this. It's the condition of the world 700 years later, when our Lord and Savior is born in Bethlehem, and friends, it's the condition of the world today. Men love darkness rather than light. And Paul said in his letter to the Corinthians, the world has been blinded, which keeps them from seeing the light of hope. 
because of sin, they are veiled from seeing the light. Come on now, it's just normal and natural for us as human beings. If you're in the dark all the time, ladies, that's why sometimes you want to redecorate and and paint a different color. You want to brighten things up, right? And that's the thing about Christmas, the lights that are shining and and of course the the decorations and so forth. It's it's a mood change. It's 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 a light. It's it's a brightness. It's coming out of darkness. When you're in the dark, what do you need? What do you need? Need Right now in this moment, I don't need a flashlight. I don't need to turn my iPhone on and turn that little flashlight on. I I don't need that. Why? Because we're in the light. But if if we were in the dark now, we would need a light. And, And that picture, it seems so simple, but that's exactly what we get in Isaiah chapter 9, that there is a mood from darkness into the light. Let's look at it together real quick. That's what makes this time of the year so wonderful, is the mood change. And friends, I suggest to you today, it's the most wonderful time of the year, not just because of the parties we're hosting and marshmallows we're roasting, but it's the most wonderful time of the year because God fulfilled His promises. The light shines in the darkness. Real quick, I'm going to give you three simple things, and we're going to go. The light represents hope. Light is only effective in the darkness. And I remind you, the darker it is, the brighter the light will shine. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 1, some scholars say that in the Hebrew, it really should be chapter 8 and verse 23, because the contrast is very clear. Heads are down, discouraged, downtrodden, depressed, angry about their circumstances. But in chapter 9, the gloom and the distress is lifted. The transition from distress and darkness and and fearful gloom uh, to this spirit of joy and hope and prosperity. And, And you and I know that this promise did not happen immediately. It didn't happen quickly. But friends, it happened most assuredly. Verse number one says the people have seen. Verse number two, it says you have enlarged. And I I need to just give you a little lesson there about the Hebrew. The verb tenses there uh, are of a a completed action that happens in the future. All right? The verb tense is that this is done. It's a done deal. It's going to happen. It is not a tense of maybe so or hope so. It is a tense of even so. What is the picture? The most oppressed area of this region, what we know as the Galilee, the northern Galilee, it is the area that we find in verse number 1 of chapter 9. It's the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. This would have been the area closest to the Assyrians. So when the Assyrians would invade over and over again, this would be the place that would take the hardest hit initially. It was an area because of the way the enemy treated it that the people lived, and they lived in poverty and discouragement and 
And the people in this area, they felt poor and downtrodden and discouraged and depressed, and they saw nothing good about the future. People in this region were constantly paralyzed by fear. I suggest to you today that it was not an accident. It was not a coincidence that this area would be the area where the light would shine the brightest. Where was Jesus born? Jesus was born in Bethlehem, just down south of Jerusalem. But where did Jesus grow up? He grew up in Nazareth, right? We don't say Jesus of Bethlehem. We say Jesus of Nazareth. Where is Nazareth? It's in the northern region of the Galilee. Where did Jesus perform and do 80% of his ministry here on earth? It wasn't in Jerusalem. It was in the northern part on the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee. Where did Jesus perform the majority of his miracles? I'll tell you where. In the place where it was the darkest. He went on those shores to the poor and the downtrodden and the downcast. And it's in that dark setting that the light begins to shine. You see, the light is needed in the darkness. Are you getting that today, church? So in the, in the darkness that you and I find ourselves in today, in a world that is, that is off the rails... <laughs> In a world that's crazy and godless and profane and rejects the authority of God, it's in that darkness that the light needs to shine the brightest. Jesus came and he declared about himself, I am the light of the world. You've read that, right? When you think about Isaiah chapter 8 and chapter 9. I love the beauty of Matthew chapter 4, Matthew's gospel in verses 13 to 16, where Matthew confirms this, that, that Jesus left Nazareth and he went to Capernaum by the sea. He went to the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. He fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9 by bringing light to people who were living in darkness. I love what John said about Jesus in John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. In him was life, and that life was the light of men, and that light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. Jesus conquered the darkness. And even today, in the darkness of this world, friends, I remind you that Jesus will not be defeated. That Jesus will win. Jesus has already won. Jesus has overcome the darkness. The devil doesn't win. He's a defeated foe. The light is only effective in the darkness. Number two, real quick, the light represents hope in the darkness. I want you to see the mood change in verse number three. Look, just real quick, look at it. There's a mood change. Notice that the people go from being poor and hungry. They're hungry. Remember that? Chapter 8, verses 21 and 22. They're hungry. They're enraged. 
They're, they're famished, the scripture says. They're dejected, hungry, famished. Now, in chapter 9 and verse number 3, they are rejoicing. And then the writer says they are rejoicing as they rejoice at harvest time. Think about it. Your lands, your crop that are just constantly taken, mowed down, stolen from you, you don't have what you need because of the enemy. Well, now the people are rejoicing like a great harvest season. Plenty of food, plenty of fruit. Now they rejoice like, verse number three, they rejoice at the end as they are dividing the spoils. Verse number three kind of ties into this a little bit. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloody garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. Instead of being the defeated ones who get trampled and smashed and burned out, the situation reverses to where now they're like the ones that go in and defeat the enemy and take all of the goods and their riches and their spoils, and they bring them back, and they sit down, and they begin to divide them up with each other. And the picture that he's giving there is this picture of victory, that we've won the battle instead of losing the battle. He ties that a little bit more in verse number four when he mentions the story of Gideon. I, of course, have been to Gideon Spring, Herod Springs, several times now, and in my mind I've got this picture you know, on this particular day, if we were going to make a football analogy, Gideon and his army, they were probably 55 to 60-point underdogs, right? As you stand there at Gideon Springs and you look back over, you see Mount Moray, and, and, and all the odds were against them. They, they should have lost, humanly speaking, but how many of you know when God is on your side? <laughs> Anything's possible. The writer here says, hey, don't you remember? Don't you remember the Midianites? Don't you remember they were the oppressor? They were the big, bad, strong warriors. And God granted a big victory. There's a message in these illustrations that you and I need today, 2,700 years ago. And that's why we are celebrating Advent today. On this first Sunday... You and I need to be reminded that the enemy has been defeated. The enemy has been defeated. The battle has already been won. So therefore today, we have hope. Please hear me, child of God. You find yourself today in the midst of battles. Some of those battles are relational some of those battles are emotional. Some of them are psychological. And it'd be very easy in this sin-cursed, broken world to feel like you're hopeless. And today, God sent me here to say to you, if you feel hopeless right now, you're really not. You're not hopeless. Because we are overcomers through Christ our Lord. The baby born in Bethlehem. You see, it's that hope the light, the light of Jesus that brings hope in the darkness. And I must hasten on and finish with verses 6 and 7. Because there's, there's such beautiful Christmas verses. Are, are you like me? Are you amazed at technology today when it comes to uh, sonograms? 
And I, I see pictures, you know, I'll see them sometime in social media. It is, I mean, it's amazing, is it not? I mean, somebody will, somebody will show you a picture and they'll say, doesn't he, doesn't he look like Papa Jim, you know? I mean, can't you, see the, can't you see my facial features and my grandbaby? Don't look at me like that. You know some of you have done that. Looks just like me. The sonograms are amazing. It just it blows my mind, the technology of today. And I suggest to you today that Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 is, is, a, is a 4D sonogram of the baby who would be born of a virgin. And when we look in that sonogram, this is what the writer gives for us. A son will be born. A son will be given to us. And his name will be, say it with me, church, Wonderful Counselor. Now, we've read through the years and we've debated back and forth. Is that one word? Is it two words? Should they be separated? Should there be a comma in between Wonderful and Counselor? And I would suggest to you, when you see these four patterns here, there are two words in each. So I don't want to split hairs with you about that, but I do want to pause for just a minute and say that Jesus is wonderful, that Jesus is magnificent, that Jesus is miraculous. But if we put it in that Hebrew context, the Scripture here says Jesus is our wonderful counselor. Now, the Jewish people have always been looking for a plan. They've always been looking for a leader, primarily a military leader, maybe a great general. And, and what does a great general have? He has a battle plan to where he can go and bring the spoil in, where he can bring the, the boots and the clothes and the armor and have a big fire as a celebration of victory. But unfortunately, they have been looking for a military leader. When Jesus came as the wonderful counselor, he has a plan, but that plan is not a military plan. It's the salvation plan. It's God's redemptive plan of salvation. Someone said the Son will be most effective in planning, in formulating a plan for action, and that plan is salvation's plan. Jesus is miraculous in making plans and in giving counsel. That word there literally is the word advice. Oh, hear me today, church. Don't miss this. When you're talking about hopelessness and despair, the first thing I've got to say to you is listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Claim His promises. Claim His words because He's the wonderful counselor. Not only is He the wonderful counselor, but He is the mighty God. Oh, please hear me. He's not just the Son of God. He is God. Jesus is the God-man. He is the mighty God. Jesus has nothing less than the full omnipotence of God. Jesus is God. He is God Almighty. He is the eternal Father, the everlasting Father. The Hebrew expression there is Father of eternity. Am I speaking to a crowd today that believes Jesus has always been and he always will be? When he was conceived and born of the virgin, that was not the beginning of his existence. Because John said, Jesus, the light, 
created all things. There was never a moment when Jesus was created because He is the eternal God from everlasting to everlasting. The writer says His fourth name would be the Prince of Peace. When you think about a prince, of course, you think about a leader, a position of authority. In verse number 7, it says the government's going to be upon his shoulders. But this will not be an earthly kingdom, an earthly government. This will be an eternal spiritual kingdom where Jesus will rule and reign. And he will establish it and he will sustain it with what? Not with military might and power, but he will rule with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. He will rule as the Prince of Peace. But I have to remind you of the words of our Lord when He said, I came to make peace, but I'm going to do it with a sword. In other words, in order to have peace, you got to have some conflict. And there's been a battle there's been a battle before the cross, on the cross, during the cross, after the cross that is still going on today. And Jesus said, I came to bring you real peace. You see, the first place when you think about peace, where you start with that is understanding that no one is born into this world at peace with God. No one. Romans chapter 5 says very clearly, that you and I are the enemy. We are at enmity with God. But Jesus made a way <laughs> with the sword in spiritual battle and spiritual warfare. Jesus made a way through the cross when he died and he shed his blood. He gave his life for us. He hung his head and he died. Jesus made the way for us to have peace with God. So I ask you today, are you at peace with God? If you are, that means there's been a point in your life where you acknowledge that you're a sinner. You believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You confessed your sin and confessed Him as Lord. No one will have peace with God until they do that. And then, once you make peace with God, then you can live a life that has the peace of God. And Paul described it this way in Philippians chapter 4, that the peace that comes from the baby born in Bethlehem, the son that is given to us, the prince of peace, the kind of peace that the prince of peace puts into my life is a peace that passes all human understanding. You see, the world doesn't understand how you can live in joy and hope, and peace, and happiness. They just don't understand. But you and I understand because we have the Word. Amen? We know what, the, we know what it means to have the Prince of Peace living inside of us. And so this is the hope. This is the hope that we have. That hope comes when we see the light of the sun that has been given unto us. So I want to ask you, I'm going to close. I'm going to ask you today, and I, I please hear me, hear my heart. I know that there are some very real issues. I know that 
depression is a real thing. I, I went through that several years ago. I was on the phone this week with somebody and just going through depression and just trying to help them and talk them through it and, and say, look, I, I've been where you're at and I, I know what that's like, okay? You're not crazy. You're going through a season. And I know there are things that we need help with. Sometimes it's counseling. It might be medicinal. And, and I know that anxiety is a real issue and, and on and on and on. So I don't want to minimize that. I, I don't want to say if you're in the midst of depression today that you just need to get right with God and it'll go away. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that I know that you and I are living in a world today where it is, it's natural for us to be fearful and to be overcome with anxiety and, and to, feel, to feel oppressed and feel like there's no hope. But God reminded us today from His Word that we're not hopeless. We have hope in the baby born in Bethlehem. There are certain pictures through the years maybe that you've seen that stand out to you. Some of them win like, you know, Nobel Prize kind of awards for pictures that are taken. The picture on the screen now is one that really has meant something to me. And last little while, I just I see that picture, man. It just it just moves me. And so when I saw the picture, I said, you know, I want to know the story behind the picture. And so this is a young man by the name of Alex Adadre. He is standing at graduation at West Point in 2016. The tears are streaming down his face, and that, you know that's that's not necessarily uncommon. You celebrate your graduation or whatever, but he's celebrating this accomplishment in his life. And this is Alex's story. He grew up in the slums of Haiti, lived in absolute poverty, had nothing. His family was poor. They struggled to survive. And wouldn't you know, several years ago, the the large earthquake hit Haiti, and it just made it even worse. A lot of mission outreaches and, and uh, supplies and things that, that uh, even us uh, as a church, we were involved with through our convention and other things. It was just a, a very terrible situation. And so while all of that is going on, Alex sees some American soldiers that just kind of show up in the slums. And he asks his dad, Dad, who are they and what are they doing? And, and his dad told him, Alex, they're here to help us. They're here to give us water. They're here to protect us. And little Alex began to ponder that and think about it. And he said to his dad, he said, Dad, I want to be an American soldier one day. Well, they, they struggle with visas and coming to this country and so forth for, for a few years, but they were blessed with an opportunity to come and to live in an area in Baltimore, Maryland. And when he got here through an Army exchange program, he got a break that, that a lot of guys never get. Alex got accepted into West Point. He had a very limited educational background. But as it is for some all they need is the opportunity. Alex gets to West Point, and wouldn't you know that he graduated in the top 5% of his class, both physically and academically, and he finished top in the physics department. And Alex said his words, I never knew what hope was until I saw those American soldiers. 
And now he is a graduate of West Point. And just before he was going to throw his cap and celebrate that day, a photographer captured this picture of tears running down his face. He's a picture of a life that goes from despair and hopelessness, I'm trapped, there's no way out, to a man who has a purpose and a life. And I give you that story today as I close to say, it's a wonderful illustration of what Christ has done for us. Because there are people, church, please hear me. You're going to walk out these doors today. You're going to go into your neighborhood and your job and your community, students into your school, and we're going to be all around people that are hopeless. But maybe, just maybe, someone would look up at your life or my life and say, hey, what? who is that? What? How can they have such joy? How can they have such peace? And God would give us the opportunity to be hope dealers and to say, there is hope. Why are we lighting candles? Why are we celebrate this season? It's because we've had a mood change when we realized why Jesus came to us. And all God's people said,